All right, if you got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, you can, uh, we're going to be specifically looking at verses 14 through 30, but uh, we'll have, um, we'll, we'll kind of look at the, the chapter in general a little bit um, as well. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30. So today we're going to be talking about the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. Now, the word talent, when we hear it nowadays in English, it, it, it kind of brings up two things for us, two meanings, if you've, if you've studied the Bible. First of all, in English, we all know that the talent means uh, it's like an innate ability <clears throat> that somebody is born with. So you can have a talent to throw a ball. You may have a talent of singing or playing a musical instrument. You may have a, a talent for being good with numbers you, or doing woodwork or whatever the case may be. So we all understand that. But in the Bible, the talent referred to a monetary weight, and specifically a monetary weight of money. So a lot of times when we come to the parable of the talents, we may ask the question, well, which is he talking about? Is he talking about money? Is he talking about abilities? Is he, is he talking about both? And so I want to talk about that for just a second, because it turns out these two words, it's not a coincidence that, a coincidence that they're spelled the same, that they look the same, that they sound the same, they're actually very closely related. So as I said, our English word talent refers to a person's innate ability, something they're just, just born with. But it turns out the only reason that word talent is in our English language is because of this, uh, because of this parable. Now, in Greek, in biblical Greek, the word talent literally means a unit of weight. If you go back to the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll see it used this way. For example, in Revelation 16, uh, it's talking about the tribulation, and, it's, and it says, Great hail came down from heaven weighing about the weight of a talent, which, by the way, is 75 pounds. Can you imagine uh, hail falling that's 75 pounds? Uh, that ain't, you don't want to be around when, when that happens. But mostly in the Bible, uh, it's, it refers to monetary weight. Keep in mind, in the ancient times, they didn't, have, uh, they didn't print out dollar bills. They didn't have printed money. And in fact, until governments like the Romans came along, they didn't even print coins. So the way you, the way you measured things out and determined the value of money was by its weight. And so they had what they would call a talent, right? And we covered this a few weeks ago, um, you know, in the parable of the, of the uh, uh, unfaithful servant. Remember that? Where, uh, where, um, or the unforgiving servant, where one servant owed him 10,000 talents. So it was used to weigh out money. By the way... You still see vestiges of this in, over in England where their, their uh, money's called the what? The pound. That's right. It, it, that's ancient because it comes back where money used to be weighed out. So even, they print, even though they print out money now, they still refer to it as, a, as, a, as the British pound. So it's this, this comes from ancient times where they used to weigh out money. Now, as I said, a talent is about 75 Pounds and, and we we learned a few weeks ago a talent of gold is about a million dollars, 1.3 million dollars. A talent of silver in today's money is a little over 17,000 dollars. And so, in our parable today, we're not told whether it's a talent of gold or whether it's a talent of silver, but it's a significant amount of money. So you may guess say, well, how did a word that represented monetary weight in biblical Greek, how did that come to mean? somebody's innate abilities in English. Well, the reason for that is when we look at this parable today, 
we're going to understand very quickly that Jesus is using the word talent metaphorically. In other words, this parable is not about money. Jesus didn't go back to heaven and leave each one of his servants with a certain amount of money, did he? And say, hey, you need to invest this money, right? I mean, yes, he did. He cares about how we spend our money, but that's not what this parable is is about. So this parable is, 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 is a, the word talent is used metaphorically. And this has been understood from the very beginning. As soon as this talent was written down and it began to be shared in the churches, the early church fathers used to teach this, that this was a metaphor, that, that basically the, ta- the word talent in this parable refers to any stewardship that God has given you. And so as time went along, this was so commonly taught that by the 14th century, the word talent was actually adopted into the English language to mean our abilities and our aptitudes. So we actually get the word talent in the English language from this parable. And so when, that's why they're so closely aligned. And sometimes it's difficult for us to separate them. Well, which, one's he, which one's he talking about? And there's a reason behind that. It's because that's where we get this, uh, the word talent. All right, so let's begin today, <clears throat> before we get into the parable, with a little bit of context. So as, as you're sitting there, you're looking at Matthew chapter 25. If, you, if, you, if you've just come in, you can open that up. If you go to chapter 26, we find out that Jesus is only two days from being crucified. As soon as he's finished these sayings in chapter 26, it says, When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So this, he's telling this during Passion Week. This is the last week of his ministry here on earth. The previous Sunday, he's come into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. It's now probably Tuesday, and, and he's going to be crucified on Friday. And he knows this. He knows that, that it, 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 it's, you know, it's getting right near the end. And so he, he actually tells them, hey, two days from now, uh, I'll be delivered up to be crucified. Now, so it's Tuesday of Passion Week. And earlier in the day, he's left the temple complex... And as he's leaving, he's taught in the temple for the very last time. He's leaving the temple, and his disciples have been admiring the temple. And so they look around, and one of his disciples came to him and said, look, look, look how great these buildings are, man. Look how awesome these buildings are. Have you ever seen anything as great as this or, or anything like this? And in Matthew 24, 2, Jesus says to them, you see all these buildings? He said, I tell you the truth, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is probably around 33 A.D., roughly, when Jesus says this. In 70 A.D., uh, about 37 years later, that temple will be crushed and demolished, and his prophecy will come true. So he, he prophesies about the destruction of the temple. They leave the city for the, for the last time. They cross the Kidron Valley, and they come to the Mount of, of Olives. Now, evidently, during this journey to the Mount of Olives, the disciples have been thinking about what he said. And so as, as they get there in Matthew 24, 3, they're sit, Jesus is sitting there, and they come to him privately. It's not a big crowd. It's just his disciples. And they ask him, they said, Tell us, when are these things going to happen that you, you keep talking about? Tell us the signs of, of, of your coming. Tell us the signs of the end of the age. So Matthew 24 and 25 is all about the end times. It's all about Jesus answering that question. 
And as you, as you read through chapter 24, he gives them all kind of details about the second coming. He gives them all kind of details about the end times. But he will never tell them the exact moment and the exact day. He tells them all kind of details. And you, can go, you can go back and read it later, Matthew 24, but he never tells them the exact time and the exact day. He won't even tell them what century it's going to be in. He won't tell them what era or what generation it's going to be in. He doesn't nail it down. And the reason for that is because he wants every person to live in anticipation of his coming. Right? He wants us to be ready. And if we knew, for example, if we knew today that, that, there, that Jesus had prophesied that he wouldn't come for 3,000 years, if we knew it was another 1,000 years, it would change the way we live. So he wants us to live in readiness and anticipation. See, that's the point of everything that he tells his disciples in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. You need to be ready. That's the point. In an hour we think not, he's coming. Right? When, when no man knows, that's when he's coming. Every once in a while you'll hear somebody say, Jesus is coming at 5 o'clock November the 1st. Well, I can pretty much tell you that pretty much guarantees he won't come at 5 o'clock on November the 1st. As soon as somebody says that's when he's coming, because the Bible says when no man knows, that's when he comes. So it's not going to be, nobody's going to know it's happening. We're, even us, it's going to come unexpected. So by the time you go through chapter 24 where he's been talking, by the time you come to chapter 25, Jesus has already said five times that his coming will be at an unknown time. And then in chapter 25, he's going to tell two parables. And he's, the, the purpose of these parables is, ex, is, is to explain to us how to be ready. Okay? Now, the two parables you find in chapter 25, the first one is the parable of the ten virgins. That's in verses 1 through 13. And then the parable of the talents in verses 14 through 30. Now, several weeks ago, I was out of town and, and I, I asked Chuck to, to, to speak for me. And he spoke on the parable of the ten virgins. So I'm not going to go back... And, and rehash that. But both of those parables basically have the exact same point, the exact same message, and that is you need to be ready. That's what the parable of the ten virgins, that's what the parable of the talents is all about. You need to be ready. So here's the question. I, I always ask myself things like this. Why would he tell two parables if they've got the same message? If it's the same point, the same message... Why would he tell two? Well, it turns out that they are different in one way. You see, the parable of the ten virgins is all about waiting. That, that's what it's emphasizing, anticipation, how to wait, right? See, the emphasis on that parable is on the inside, it's on the heart. How to have a heart that's ready for the return of Jesus. And by the way, a heart that's ready for the return of Jesus is a heart that longs for his return. I was talking to somebody this week about our culture and just... You just, it's like, man, where, where are you at, Lord? Come, come get us out of this mess, right? It, it's a heart that, I don't want to stay here. I'm just passing through. This is temporary. I don't belong here. That's a heart that's ready for the return of, of Jesus. But here's the key. The parable of the talents is not about waiting. It's about doing. See, one of the parables, the first one, is all about the inside, about the heart, how you're supposed to be waiting the other parable is all about the outside. It's about what you're supposed to be doing. That while we're waiting and while we're watching and while we're looking and while we're anticipating, we're supposed to be doing something. 
right? Every once in a while, you, you ever hear somebody will sell everything they have and go up on a mountain and wait for Jesus? Y'all seen that from time to time? They'll say, oh, Jesus is coming uh, next Sunday night, and they'll just sell everything they have and go up on a mountain. By the way, that's like the ten virgins. See, that's all about waiting. But if that's all you do, it's, un, it's out of balance. See, we always know when somebody does something like that, well, that's out of balance. They're not waiting correctly. They're not doing the right thing. And see, that's, they've missed something, right? And what they've missed is the working and the doing. While we're waiting, we should be working and serving and doing. We should be making the most of the stewardship that God has given to us. That's why these two parables in this chapter, when you really look at it, they go perfectly together. They are absolutely perfectly. They give a balanced, uh, just an excellent balance of how we are to live while we're waiting for the return of Christ. The, ver- the virgins tell us how to wait, have a heart that's ready. The parable of the talents tell us what we should be doing while we're waiting. So they're a, they're a perfect balance with, with one another. So let's start in verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. We'll read verses 14 and 15, and we're looking at the parable of the talents. So remember, the disciple says, what's it going to be like at the second coming? What's it going to be like at the end of the age? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's going to be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, to another he gave one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. Now, in the parable, it's pretty simple. You've got this wealthy man. And he's preparing to leave on this long journey. And so while he's leaving, he needs his estate to be taken care of, right? He, he, he don't want it to go into, into ruin. He doesn't want it to go into disrepute. And so he gives money to his servants. And he wants them to invest that money. He wants them to, to grow the estate while he's gone. So, and by the way, he gives them, it's a lot of money. As I said, in today's money, he probably gives one of them close to about $85,000. He gives the other one around $35,000, and he gives one about $17,000, right? And his, again, his expectation is, grow my estate. You got to invest this money. Give me a return on my investment while I'm gone. Now, this is a smart guy, right? If you got that kind of money in those days, you're a, you're a good businessman. See, he knows his servants, he, he knows their abilities. He knows their skills. He, he knows which one works harder. He knows which one is smarter. He knows which one has more business sense than the other one. So he apportions his money accordingly. He doesn't split it three ways because the, their talents, their abilities are not even. He knows that some can handle more than others. And so he apportions his money accordingly. And in fact, at the very end of those second verse right here, you'll notice what it says, to each according to his ability. So he knows them. He knows what their abilities are, and he apportions his money out uh, accordingly. Now, I want to stop here and make sure that we understand what's being taught because it's easy to misunderstand this right here. He is not giving them in this parable the abilities. Everybody see that? They've already got those. They were born with those. Now, by the way, those are gifts of God as well. But that's not what this talent is about. I mean, this this, uh, parable is about. It's not about the abilities they were born with. Everybody with me? Does everybody see that? They already had those. 
So if they could throw a football or if they could sing or if they could play an instrument or if they were good with business, whatever the case was, they already had those things. They were born with those things. Okay, That's not what this parable is about. See, what he's doing in the parable is he's giving them opportunity to use those abilities. See, that's the real key to the parable. It's not about what they were born with. It's giving, he's giving them an opportunity to use what they were born with to further his kingdom. So what we see in this parable is each man's ability determined his opportunity. See, the fact is in this life, some people have the capacity to handle more than others. Not everybody is the same. Now, as you look at this parable, I hope it's obvious to you that the, the wealthy man in the parable that goes on a long journey, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is, is saying, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go on a long journey. I'm going to be gone for a long time, right? That's Jesus going back to heaven where he is right now. And while he's gone, we are to be working on his behalf. We are to be advancing the kingdom. We are to be growing the kingdom. We are to be furthering the kingdom. But you see, every person here is created with different abilities. See, this parable is not about the abilities you were born with. That's not what this is about. See, everybody's here has got different intelligence. Some of us are smarter than others. Some of us have better verbal skills than others. Some of us have greater emotional capacities to handle things. Some of us have different physical skills. We're just, across the board, we are completely different. And then add that to the fact of where you were born and to what kind of situation you were born, to what kind of things you were exposed to growing up, right? All of that comes into play to kind of make you into who you are and to how your ability... You know, you may have been born with a great ability and then somebody recognized that ability and they, they encouraged that ability and you were able to grow and expand that ability, whereas somebody else could have been born with an ability and they were pushed down and, and, and belittled and, and they... Everybody with me? So that all plays into what your talents and abilities are. See, we're all different. And the fact is, when it comes to our spiritual capacities, we are all different there as well. And see, by the way, this is all by the design of God. And I say all this because I want you to understand something. If you're a five, that's great. But if you're a two, that's okay too. If you're a one, that's all right. See, you had no control over that. Everybody with me? Whether you're a five or a two or a one in, in, the, in, the, in the area of your spiritual capacity and your abilities, you had no control over that. You were born with those things. Okay? So that's, this is not about those things. It's okay to be a two. It's okay to be a one. That's the way God designed it. Certain people have different abilities than others. But what God does in your life is He turns around and he gives you opportunities that align with your abilities. Whether you're a one or a two or a five, he gives you opportunities that align with your abilities. The issue here and the point is, what are you going to do with your opportunity? That's what he cares about. He doesn't care if you're a five or a two or a one. He made you that way. What he cares about is, all right, here's your opportunity. Now what are you going to do with it? That's what you're going to be judged on. Now, I want to pause here for just a second and make kind of an application for us. In the parable, they each have different fiscal abilities, right? Some of them are, the five must be really good with money, 
because he gets the most of the money. And the one is probably not very good with money. And so he gets the least, right? And the two is somewhere in between. So depending on their monetary ability, their business sense, they're each one given different amounts of money. So what would be an equivalent example for us? Okay, in the spiritual sense. Because remember, this is a metaphor. It's, it's not about money. It's about any kind of stewardship. Well, I want to talk a little bit here this morning because this is a perfect example for us. And I want to take teaching and truth as an example. You see, each one of us has been born with what I would call a different spiritual capacity. And then throughout our lives, we're exposed to situations. We're exposed to teaching. We're exposed to truth uh, of, God's, of God's Word. For example, as I stand here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and teach, and you guys come in here and listen, it's, it's evident that people are going to receive truth with different capacities. You see, some folks are going to sit here this morning and they're going to hear this, and they're going to just take it all in. They're like a five. They're like a five when it comes to spiritual capacity. Man, they can just consume spiritual truth and, and just run with it. But on the other hand, you got some people here that are like a one. They're at a different level. They won't grasp everything. They may just grasp one little piece of it. And by the way, folks, that's okay. Everybody with me? That's all right. You grasp what you can. And a lot of people are right in the middle somewhere. And that's all okay. That is not a problem. God has designed it that way. The real question is, what are you going to do with what you understand? What are you going to do with what you've grasped? You see, we've all got this spiritual capacity that God has given it us. The question is, are we returning Him the maximum profit on His investment? That He's giving us, are we maximizing that opportunity? You see, just like those servants, we've all been given a stewardship. We've all been given a level of responsibility. We all have what I would call a stewardship bag that God is holding us responsible for. We're, we're all managing, in a, in a sense, a part of God's kingdom, a part of God's fortune. Every time you sit under the teaching of the Word of God, whether it's in this class, whether it's uh, with Pastor Henry teaching, whether it's writing home and listening to the radio or putting in a CD or listening to a podcast from your favorite teacher or preacher, whatever the case may be, every time you do that, it's like the Holy Spirit is dropping that truth into your stewardship bag. He's dropping it into your stewardship bag. He's given you an opportunity to take your abilities, your talents, the things that you innately have, He's saying, okay, here's the truth. Now, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to invest it in my kingdom? How are you going to bring forth fruit for my kingdom? You're responsible for that, okay? Now, that is a big deal. I don't know about y'all, but that's a big deal to know that I'm going to be called to be responsible for every word that I've heard or at least every word that I've understood, right? There's things today I still don't understand, but there's a lot that I do and I'm going to be responsible for it. Now let's look at verses 16 to 17 to see what those men did. And it said this, He who had received the five talents, and watch these words, went at once. And he traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So the guy that had 85000 turned it into $170,000. The guy that had... 
34,000, turned it into 68,000. They made a 100% return on the money, which is, which is pretty good, right? Now, notice what they did. It says they went out at once. In, that, in other words, they did it immediately. These guys aren't sitting around. The, 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 the master has just left. The boss has just left. He's going to be gone a long time. They're not sitting around saying, you know what, let's, we'll get to this later. Let's just take some of these five talents that we got and let's have a party. Let's just enjoy ourselves. No, they immediately start working. Okay? See, they don't put it off. They don't wait until later. They, see, this is a heart that just responds to truth. This is a heart that when you're sitting in here and you hear that truth and it comes in, you receive it with joy and you want to immediately start putting it to work. You want to immediately start using that truth, doing something with that, with that truth, right? Now, we're not told what they did with the money. It just says he traded. He could have, for example, he could have went and bought some seed. He could have planted a crop and sold the crop. By the way, the, the, the master's gone a long time, right? He's gone a long time, so he's got plenty of time to turn those five talents into something else. But see, the point is not what they did to do it. The point is that they did something. And the point is they maximized what he'd been given. They made the most of their opportunity. And the same, by the way, goes for the second servant. He made the most of his. See, again, not everybody's got the same talents. Not everybody's got the same abilities. That's not the point. God doesn't care. In fact, you'll see that here in just a second. That's not the point at all. The point is, what do you do with what you have? And see, both of these men gave the maximum return for the opportunity that they had been given. And that's exactly what God was after. Now, there are lessons. By the way, we're not going to finish this today. We'll, we'll get to the second part next week. There are lessons to be learned from all three of these servants, the five and the two and the one. But it's fairly obvious to me in this parable that what the, what, the one that God really wants us to focus on is the less talented. The, the, he's the real point here. He, he's the real one, one that Jesus wants us to, to ponder. Look at verse 18. It tells about him. It says, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now the thing to note here is this guy does what? He doesn't do anything. I mean, this, this is as lazy and as sorry as it gets. He wasn't given a lot, but he did absolutely nothing with it. In other words, he wasted his opportunity. Now, I want everybody to listen up very closely here because I don't want you to understand or misunderstand what Jesus is teaching. You see, this does not mean, please don't take this to mean that five talent people are always going to be winners. And one-talent people are always going to be losers. See, that's not the point here at all. The point here is that no matter your capacity, no matter your abilities, everybody is equally responsible to do something. Everybody got that? See, it's easy to look at this and say, well, of course the five-talent guy made five talents. Look how talented he was, right? I mean, he must have had a lot of good business sense because he's the one that he gave the most money to. Sure, he's going to be successful. But that's not the point at all. It's easy to get that mixed up and think, well, I'm a one-talent person. I probably I shouldn't even try. I'm, just a, I'm always going to be the loser. That's not the point of this parable at all. In fact, ask yourself this question. Why does Jesus use the one-talent guy to illustrate the fact that everybody is responsible the same? 
do you understand he could have told this he could have told this parable flipped around? In fact, let's try that for a second. What if he had said this? He who had received the one talent went at once and made one talent more. So also he was who was given two made two more, but he who was given five went and hid it in the ground. Would that have by the way, would that have told the same message? Yes. It would have told See, he could have flipped it, but he didn't. So why did he do it the way that he did it? Why did he make the five-talent guy the good guy and the two-talent guy the good guy and the one-talent guy the loser, the villain in the story? See, see, if he had told it the other way with the five-talent guy wasting what he had done, see, I think there would have been a... We, we might have looked at that and said, well, no wonder God's so mad. That guy had five talents. See, he, he should have... No wonder God was angry at that guy. And by the way, at the end of the parable, God is angry at the one-talent guy. But see, if we'd have told it this way, we'd have said, no wonder he's mad. Look how much talent that guy wasted, right? But see, that's not the case, right? He's, he's not angry with that guy because he wasted it more. So, so he tells it where the one-talent guy is the villain. Why? Because he wants to illustrate the fact that the person who would seem to be the most excusable is not excused. That's why he tells it the way he does. Because the person in the parable that you would think is the most excusable, he's only a one-talent guy, at the end of the day, he's not excused at all. Because it doesn't matter if you're a five-talent or a two-talent or a one-talent, God expects a return. He expects you to use the opportunities you've been given and, and grow the kingdom, advance the kingdom. And when he comes back, it doesn't matter if you were a five-talent guy or a two-talent guy or a one-talent guy, He's going to say, what would you do with what I gave you? And there's nobody is excused. He wants us to know that everybody is responsible. Even the least talented person in the room is responsible to provide a return on the opportunity that God has given them. Because in the end, guys, there is coming a day of reckoning. Matthew 25, 19, it says this, Now after a long time... By the way... It's an odd thing. Jesus said this over and over and over again. When he told the, if you, if you wonder when was Jesus going to come back, he said it over and it's going to be what? It's going to be a long time. He told this over and over in these parables. It's going to be a long time. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. By the way, this is Jesus. This is, they wanted to know, what's the, re the return of your coming? What's your second coming going to be like? This is what it's going to be like. After a long time, I'm going to come back and I'm going to settle accounts. That word used in the Greek for settle accounts is a financial term. And it literally means that the guy comes back and he opens the books. He, he opens the accounting books and he begins to look at what was invested and what was lost, what was won, what was the return. In other words, he comes back and he looks at what have you done with your stewardship back? What have you done with everything, all the teaching that I've given you? What have you done with it? Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made you five talents more. Guys, can you hear the boldness and the excitement? This guy probably hears the... the have you ever... Have you ever... Um, I don't know if any of y'all have ever done this. Like in school, sometimes you would just... You just know the answer to a question, and they call on you, and you're just like, Yeah! <laughs> You know, I mean, you ready, man. I mean, let me step up, show what I can do, because you know that you know that you got it right. This guy knows he got it right. 
He, there's no shame here. There's, there's nothing here. This guy's ready to step up. Master, he stepped to the front. Look at what I did. You gave me five. I made you five more. See, he knows he maximized his service to the master. He's not ashamed. He comes before the throne with boldness because he, he, what opportunity he was given, he used. Look at verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Yeah, I gave you $85,000. You were... Now this, is, this is... I mean, this is pretty amazing to me. This guy was given a lot of money, right? He rolled that 85 into 170, and the Lord tells him, you've been faithful over a little. I'm going to put you in charge over a lot, way more than that. You thought that was a lot? You thought that was a lot? I'm going to, give, I'm going to show you some things that you, it's going to blow your mind that you're going to be in charge over. Enter into the joy of your master. See, this is an amazing thing. I don't know if you understand what he's saying here. What you and I... See, one day we're going to get to heaven, and if people think you're going to be sitting around in a cloud playing a little harp, you're still living in your toddler days. You're going to be doing in heaven. You're going to be serving in heaven. See, I don't, I don't understand all that, by the way, but you're not going to be bored. You're not going to be just sitting around with nothing to do. You, we will be serving in heaven, and what we do in heaven is determined by what you do right here. You got one shot at it. You got, you got, this is it. What you're going to be doing in heaven is going to be determined by what you do right here. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. I, I've, I'm 54 years old, experienced a lot of things, and I'm sure everybody here can, can I hope everybody here can, can validate what I'm about to say. The greatest joys in my life is serving the Lord. The greatest fulfillment is doing things for the Lord. The greatest peace comes when I'm doing things for the Lord. Yes or no? Well, if, if the, but by the way, heaven is ultimate joy. Isn't that what he said? Enter into the joy of your master. So if, if the greatest joy here on earth is found in serving the Lord, and heaven is ultimate joy, then heaven has to be ultimate service. We have to be serving, doing things in heaven. I, I don't understand all that. I can't tell you what we're going to be doing. But you will be over, some people will be over much, okay? And, and, and again, what you will be given to do there is determined right here and now in this life that you have. How are you using the things, the opportunities that God has given you here on this earth? That's going to determine what you'll be doing in heaven. If you're faithful over the little opportunity that you're given here on this planet, He'll make you Lord over many things there and that isn't that is unbelievable and it's something we spend very little time really thinking about by the way you may say well Derek are you saying there'll be ranks or cast of people in heaven uh yes and no okay by the way on one sense everybody in heaven will be equal um remember the parable of the labors we talked about that the ones that are hired in the morning and the ones that are hired at 5 o'clock, at the end of the day, they get what? They all get the same. They all get eternal life. They all get eternal joy with the Father. So that, in that sense, everybody... But there's also people in heaven that because they will be rewarded, they will be given authority over more than other people. Now, I don't... Keep in mind, though, in heaven, there's no jealousy. 
It's hard for us to understand that. But you look at a person that's got more rewards than you and you won't think, oh, boy, I just messed that up. All right, hold on just a second. Okay, there we go. Okay. So you won't, there won't be no jealousy, right? You'll be thinking, man, that, what, what a guy. I'm so glad. He, everybody with me? That is just so hard for us to comprehend that in heaven there won't be these little petty, petty jealousies. You'll be so happy for other people, even if they get more than you. You'll just be so glad. So yes, there will be, everybody's equal, everybody's got equal joy, but there is no doubt that some people will be given more authority in heaven um, than other people. And again, I don't know if I necessarily understand that. Let's read verse 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I made you two more. And his master said to him, now watch this. He says the exact same thing to him that he said to the five. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As I said earlier, there's lessons to be learned from all three servants, the five, the two, and the one. And what the two teaches us is found in the fact that he receives the exact same commendation as the guy with the five talents had. Exact same thing. Well done. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going I'm I'm to make you uh, Lord. I'm going to give you authority over much. See, what this tells us, guys, is God delights in faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Let me say that again. God delights in faithfulness, not fruitfulness. See, there are some people out there, big ministers with big ministries, and you just think, man, God has got to be more happy with them than He is with me. I'm just here in this little church, and I'm just doing this little thing over here. But look at that guy. But see, it's not about the fruit. It's about the faithfulness. That guy may have been given ten talents. He may have been given all the... And he's going to be responsible for those opportunities. You may have been given one thing. One thing, one little thing that you do well. Maybe you're an encourager. You can't speak in front of people. You, you get nervous just talking in front of people. But you can go to someone one-on-one and encourage. And that's the only thing God gave you is that one thing. But if you're faithful with that one little thing and nobody ever knows your name, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over that one little thing. Now let me make you, I'll give you much. See, I just think that's awesome. See, whether you're five, whether you're two, whether you're one, that's not the point. God doesn't really care. God's ordained that, by the way. He created you that way. That's, That's not the point of this at all. The point is, what do you do with the stewardship bag that He's put in your hand? What are you doing with that? Are you maximizing that opportunity? Because there's coming a day of reckoning. But the good news is, he delights in faithfulness, not in fruitfulness. The, 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 listen, the faithful use of a small gift gives God just as much pleasure and just as much delight as some guy that Scott is using the large gift faithfully. He delights in, he delights in, in both. You might ask this question, because I, I find myself thinking this sometimes. Can't a person with greater gifts please God more than somebody with lesser gifts? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God does not look at it that way, right? What pleases God 
is not that one can preach and another can pray and another one can write and another one can work with his hands. That's not the point. God's, God's not sitting there saying, man, I really like that guy better because he can really preach. But this guy over here, all he can do is just, all he can do is encourage. I really like that one. That's not the way God looks at his children. What pleases God is how we use what we've been given, not which one of those things we've been given. Faithfulness more than fruitfulness. See, that's the point of the parable of the talents. Well done, good and faithful servant, is not reserved for the one who got the most, but it's reserved for all of those who are faithful. We'll come back next week and talk about the third servant, the one who hid it in the ground, uh, because I think that's probably the most uh, focus that, God, uh, that, that the Lord wants us to put on this parable. And so we'll cover that next week in verse 2. Let's pray.